subhanahu wa ta'ala from the evil within our souls and the consequences of our evil deeds. Whoever Allah guides will never be led astray, and whoever Allah allows to share will never find guidance. And we send our continuous praises and salutations upon our beloved Muhammad sallallahu So the topic that I was given for today is the Qadr, is the concept of Qadr in our religion. And it's not a topic that you would consider as being something spiritual or a heart softener, but it is a topic that is necessary for our day and age. And it is one of the tenets of faith, as we all know the hadith of Jibreel alayhi salam, when he came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and he was asking him, what is Islam, what is Iman, and what is Ihsan? The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam gave the response to Iman as being, and tu'mina billahi wa malaikatihi wa kutubihi wa rusulihi wal yawm al-akhri wa tu'mina bil qadari khayrihi wa sharri. He said that Iman is to believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to believe in the angels, and the books, and the messengers, and the last day, and, and he put an emphasis, and to believe in the Qadr. However, this concept of Qadr brings, brings up some questions. And let me just start off by saying, when you hear the word Qadr, what does it mean to you? Anyone? Destiny. Destiny? Yeah. Okay, that's a famous name. People agreeing? Will of Allah. What is it? Chance. Chance. Faith. 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 Okay. Decree. Decree. That's the most famous translation that I read in English so far is the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The reason I said that this word brings misconception is because when we hear qadr, we usually assume that. It's the destiny that we had, or what was predestined for us. Then we start raising the other question is, do we have free will at all? Or if we have free will, then what does that mean? Or if everything that we do is predestined for us, how come we have to act or worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if our destiny is already predetermined for us? And this is one of the concepts that is difficult to answer. And usually when you do this, you do it in the books of Aqidah. And it's one of the chapters of Aqidah. You don't just cover it in one day or a few minutes, then you move on. It's something that goes with you because you need to learn about the sifat, the attributes, and the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and it relates to this concept. However, for this short talk, what we'll try to do is focus on the concept itself, and we'll try to remove some misconceptions that people have, that we conclude by focusing on what should we do as youth in regards to this concept. So as we said, when we hear the concept of Qadr, people start asking, how can we reconcile between the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all powerful, all knowledgeable, all wise, and the fact that we have free will, because we're told that we have a free will. And matter of fact, this question was one of the first questions that created the divide between the Muslim Ummah. It was a question that created the divide between two sects that went to two different extremes. The sects were the Qadariya and Jabriya. The Qadariya believed that humans have absolute free will and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has no control over their actions. On the opposite end, the Jabriya, they believed that everything is predestined for them and they have no free will to choose what to do. And these two extremes led to two different types of question. The first group was asking if 
we have full control over our actions, why should we call to Allah in prayer in the first place? And the second group starts saying, if everything is predestined for us, how sh why should we act at all? Why should we do anything? Why anything that we do should matter in the first place? And these are somewhat, somewhat the same questions that we hear in our day and age. However, the Sunnah al-Jama'ah took the middle path between these two groups. They took a path that was defined by the Quran and the Sunnah. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all powerful, but within that power, He gave us the free will to choose for ourselves what we want to do. And that's why He told us in Surah Al-Kahf, فَمَنْ شَاءَ فَلْيُؤْمِنْ وَمَنْ شَاءَ فَلْيَكْفُرْ إِنَّا أَعْتَدْنَا لِلظَّالِمِينَ نَارًا حَطَ بِهِمْ سُرَادِقُهَا Whoever wills, let him believe. And whoever wills, wills let him disbelieve. But we have prepared a hellfire for the people who do wrong. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling you, you have the free will to choose whether you want to believe or disbelieve. But your choice is going to have a consequence at the end. So basically, this is the gist of what we want to cover today. However, we'll try to do it in steps. First, by just giving a warning before we go into the different steps of Qadr. Secondly, we'll try to clear some misconception about the definition of Qadr itself. Then we'll talk about how this concept relates to the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then we'll talk about a famous question or a common question that usually arises from this concept. Then we'll talk about the tawfiq of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the first warning is that we need to know that from a rational perspective, it's hard to, to think about these things rationally. Because we live in a place where we're limited by space and time. Everything that we think of is in a physical matter, it's in a physical substance. However, these concepts relate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and anything that relates to Allah is out of the scope of space and time. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one that created space and time for us. So when we think about these matters, we cannot limit them to our limited mindset that is limited by space and time. And secondly, when we think about time, we think of it as something that, is, that happens linearly, which means that we're right now in the present, there's, the, there's something that happened previously in the past, and there's something that will happen in the future, which we do not see yet. But when it comes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, since that one, He's the one that created the concept of time, He's not limited by this linear point of view that we see. So regardless of how much we try to clarify these concepts in our religion, especially the ones that have to do with faith, we'll not be able to do, do justice. Matter of fact, these concepts were some of the concepts that the Prophet commanded the companions, may Allah be pleased with them, not to dive too deep into them. And he said, And if you hear the Qadr is being mentioned, then hold on. Do not debate. And Imam al-Tahawi said that this concept of Qadr, if you dive too deep into it, if you start debating it, this will lead to failure and it will lead to progressive denial and transgression. However, we'll need to take some steps to clear some misconceptions that we have about this concept, but we'll need to keep in mind that at the end of the day, we're still limited in our point of view. And these are the concepts of faith because they're not going to be fully clearly out there for you. You need to take that leap of faith and believe in them. So we'll start by clarifying some of the definitions. 
Usually when we hear Qadr, we hear they come in with two words, a Qada and a Qadr. And when we hear them together, we just believe that something was predestined for us and that's it. Everything was already predestined and we have no control over our choices. But this is due to a misconception of what these words actually mean. So our scholars such as Imam al-Nawawi rahimahullah in his tafsir of Sahih al-Bukhari, he said that Qadr means the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of what will happen. Or the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of what decisions you will make. And Qadr is Him subhanahu wa ta'ala bringing those decisions to reality in due time. So both these concepts have to do with the attribute of knowledge. So when we talk about Qadr, it does not mean that something was already predestined for you. We're talking about an attribute of knowledge. And knowledge is an attribute that does not affect your decision. It just brings it to light. And the famous examples our scholars always give is that if you were to hold a flashlight, if I was to pick up my phone, turn on my flashlight and point it at this cup, it's not gonna change what the cup is doing. The fact that I picked up my flashlight and I pointed at the cup, the cup is not gonna move. The cup is not gonna fall off the table. The cup is not gonna be empty because I pointed the flashlight at it. All that flashlight is gonna do is define the cup clearly for me. And I will be able to see clearly what is present in front of me. And this is the concept of Qadr. So as the flashlight clear, clearly shows you what's in front of you, Qadr basically just shows the decisions that are about to make. So it has nothing to do with something being predestined for you. So this is the first misconception that we need to clear out about the concept of Qadr. However, when we clear this misconception, then people start to ask, where does Allah's power come in? If we have free will, does that mean Allah is still all powerful? He is. We all know one of his names is Al-Qawi. And one of his sifats and attributes is having qudra, having power to do whatever he wills. But within his ultimate power and sovereignty, he chose for us to have free will. As part of his power, he let us have free will in what decisions that we, we, we want to make. So if we look at the bigger picture, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created everything. But when it comes to the details and day-to-day -day lives, he gave us a choice to go about our days as we wish. And as an example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, within his power, he created our limbs for us. And he gave us the power to use our limbs. And he gave us the power to control our <coughs> limbs and do with them as we wish. <coughs> so as we look at the bigger picture, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one that created everything. And it, in, it is within his power that he gave us these powers. However, he gave us the free will to use our limbs as we see fit or as we wish. So if I was to take my hand and punch someone, I should not say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made me do it because he's the one that created these limbs for me. But we see he's all powerful, so he created these limbs for you and he gave you the power to use them. But with that, he gave you the free will to use it as you wish. And that's where you get judged. That's where the hisab comes in. That's where the reward or sin comes in, is on how you decide to use those limbs. And that's why we said earlier in a verse, whoever wills, let him believe, and whoever wills, let him disbelieve. But there is consequences to whatever action that you should take. <clears throat> 
So after clarifying what this qadr actually means and how Allah's power comes into play in this concept, the first question or like the most common question that people raise is that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew that person A, if he was to be created and live long enough, that that person is going to sin, which will cause Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be displeased with him, which will lead to his punishment. So the question people raise is why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala create that person in the first place? Is this a question you guys hear commonly? So this question is not something that is new to our day and age. This is a question that was raised to the scholars before us and they gave proper answers to it. And the answer comes in multiple parts. The first part is that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us as humans, He created us with the blessing to have free will, to choose what we want to do with our life. And that is one of the greatest blessings that He gave us. However, with that free will comes the power that you get to decide whether you want to use it for good or evil. But that does not take from it being a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Secondly is that we assume that the world is supposed to be perfect or free of evil. And if we have that assumption in our life, that means that everyone will not be able to act except in a way that is good. So there will be no evil because we will be forced in a matter, in a sense, to only do good. Then, if we say that we should be forced to only do good, then the concept of free will that we fight for goes in, in its essence. If we're only forced to do good, then that means we don't have the free will if we want to do evil. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, out of His wisdom and out of His mercy, He gave us the power to choose for ourselves. And the last reason this question rises up or it confuses us is because we confuse between another two sifat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, another two of His attributes, and that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala willing something to happen and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being pleased or not pleased with something. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as we said, He had the power and He allowed us, He willed for us to have free will, to decide what we want to do. But He told us that if you choose route A, I'll be pleased with you, but if you choose route B, I'll be displeased. But just because He's displeased with something does not mean He's going to stop it or not will it to happen because He gave us that free will to start with. So when we think about these three answers, this is the reason that there might be evil in the world and we cannot control it. It's because some of us, some of some of the people within their free will, they chose to commit actions of evil. And others within their free will, they chose to rise up and fight those actions of evil. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to be from that group that decides to take out on their shoulders to fight those actions. <clears throat> And lastly, when talking about this concept, a concept of tawfiq from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes in. The concept of divine intervention. So we said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all powerful, all knowledgeable, all wise. And within that power, He gave us the free will to decide what we want to do with our lives. But there's also come something called tawfiq from Allah. And that's when you tell Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I know that you gave me the will to decide, but I know that your decisions for your decisions for me will be better for me. 
So Allah, you make the decision for me. This is the tawfiq from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the divine intervention. And one of the examples the scholars usually give is if someone was about to take an exam in a class, the professor could be fair by just telling you that anything we discuss during the semester or throughout the semester will be covered, will be in the exam, could be an exam, it's fair game. We discuss chapters one through seven and anything from these chapters could be in the exam and you go and study as you wish. So the professor has the power to do so and within, within his right to do so and he's gonna be fair because you covered everything in those chapters so he has the right to ask you. But the example of divine intervention is if the professor came to you and he told you, I want you to focus on section A, B, and C. He did not have to do so. But because he knew it is better for you, if you know exactly what to focus on, it will save you time and be more focused. And this is the prophetic teaching. This is why the Prophet وسلم, in his dua he used to say, Allahumma hadini fi man hadayt. وعافيني في من عافيت وتولني في من توليت وبارك لي فيما أعطيت وقني شر ما قضيت إنك تقضي ولا يقضى عليك The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to say Oh Allah guide me among those whom you have guided and pardon me among those you have pardoned and turn me in friendship among those whom you have turned in friendship and bless me in that which you have bestowed and save me from the evil which you have decreed. And that word comes again. From the evil which you have decreed. From the evil which you have knowledge of, oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, save me from it. And this is the same dua that Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu used to make. Abu Uthman al-Hindi said that he witnessed Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu making tawaf around the Kaaba and making this dua. Umar used to say, Oh Allah, if you have written me among the blessed, then affirm it therein. And if you have written me amongst the damned and sinful, then wipe it away and affirm me among the blessed. So Umar is saying in a sense from the lessons that we took previously, is Oh Allah, if it isn't within your knowledge, if you know that the decisions that I'm gonna make are gonna cause me to be within the blessed, then keep me firm upon those decisions. But oh Allah, if you know that the decisions that I'm gonna make in the future will cause me to be sinful, or will cause me to be amongst those who are damned, oh Allah, take that control from me. Oh Allah, don't let me make those decisions, but rather you, with your divine intervention, make the decisions for me so I am among the blessed. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us among those who are blessed and for unable to make the proper decisions that He, with His divine intervention, makes the decisions that are going to benefit us the most in this dunya and the akhirah, inshaAllah ta'ala. So just to summarize what we said, so we can clarify the misconceptions that people have about Qadr, is that Qadr has to do with the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And knowledge is a revealing attribute. It does not change anything. When we say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has knowledge of something, He knows where it's going to be or the decisions that are going to be made, but He does not force it to be in a certain way. But within Allah's power, He gave us the free will to decide what we want to do. However, our decisions have consequences because He told us, if you will 
If you wish to believe, then believe, but if you wish to disbelieve, you can disbelieve, but your decisions will have consequences. And we said one of the reasons people raise that common question is that why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala create someone if he's gonna sin? Is that if he created him with only the ability to do good, then he does not have that free will that we have been talking about. And lastly is that divine intervention comes when we ask for it, when we're getting closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we tell him that, oh Allah, I know that I'm not gonna make the best decisions, so you make the decisions for me. And so before we move on to the next part, does anyone have any questions, anything that was not clear about these three steps or these three misconceptions that we tried to clear? Either everyone is super confused or I did a really good job. I'm gonna go with the latter, hopefully. I have a, I just wanna like clarify, like, so basically that, you know how people say that, you know, everything happens for a reason. Allah makes sure that uh, whatever we do, wherever we are, we're there because, you know, that's what's written for us. But what, I guess I have a good understanding of what you're saying kind of confirms that uh, every decision we made brought us to that point. So God did, or Allah did say that, okay, you have these two options. Now if you do this, you'll end up there. And if you do this, you'll end up there. So the choices we've made reached us to where we are now. Basically, yeah. Basically, right? Yeah. That's, that's where the free will comes in. But everything we say, everything happens for a reason because at the end we believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the all-wise, all-knowledgeable. And sometimes within his divine intervention that we've talked about, he will stop something from happening or something happening a different way because it is better for us. Or for example, somebody who's in jail right now and let's say they're framed for a murder or whatever and they go, uh, in their mind, which they're believers and they're saying, this was meant to be. But uh, like, if you look deeper, it's actually because, okay, God is saving us, Allah is saving us from something worse, so we're in this situation. Either that or, it is, or it's because within his free will that he did committed something that led to that situation. It, it's it could have been minor, that. it could have been bigger, but that's what uh, the actual outcome is at the end. Yes. Thank so, you, brother. Um, you said Qadr has to, has to do with the knowledge of Allah. What, correct me if I'm wrong, so whatever is written is bound to happen based off of our decisions that we take in life is how it plays out. Okay. And the reason we said sometimes this confuses us is because we think of time as something that is linear. So we say if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala already knows something, then how can it change in any shape or form? But again, that's not a question that we could necessarily always answer because we're limited to the scope which we think, which is limited to the world that we live in. But however, the Prophet Sallallahu used to command people that if you want your life to increase or your provisions to increase, then hold on to your family ties. That means, although it is written that someone is going to die in a certain time, but it could increase based on the actions that you perform in this dunya. Um, I had a, a kind of a similar question. Um, for those like non-believers, um, let's say they, they say that um, we never had the chance to come to Islam. Uh, does Allah... Uh, provide that for everyone, like the ability to kind of see um, at, at any point in their life, like the ability to come to Islam, is that, is that something that? I know for, like this is not gonna be a full exhaustive answer, but I know for instance, people that never had the chance to see Islam, they're not judged based on the religion that they followed. This is what they call the Hanafi, like before 
punish or judge someone until we send a messenger. So if they won't receive that message, and it's clearly that they didn't receive it. For instance, someone that was born before Islam. And the Prophet ﷺ talked about certain individuals, but they had the manners that they believed in one Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because they believed that only one God exists is something that we can logically come to. So as long as there's that belief and there's the characters that they hold, they hold are the highest, utmost character, then they're judged based on that character, not the religion that they hold. But if they already saw Islam, but it's out of their arrogance that they don't believe in it, then that's something that's different. So the last part of what I prepared for this lecture is that what is our role, or what are some practical steps that we can take relating to this concept of Qadr, or learning more about Qadr. I would say the first step, or one of the main reasons a lot of these misconceptions come up is because we don't have enough knowledge about this topic, and especially the topic of Aqidah. So I would say the first step for anyone is to learn more about your religion. And you saw how simple sometimes it was to clarify some misconceptions just by having the clear definitions of what something means. And can you only imagine if you actually take even more effort and there's more consistent halqas about your aqidah, about the attributes and sifat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and how many misconceptions that will clear. And within that part of seeking knowledge is that we need to humble ourselves. And I say this is because sometimes we take a philosophy class or a religions of the world class or we read a post or status on Facebook about someone raising this controversial question about our religion. And before we even take the time to ask our scholars or the knowledgeable people in our community about an answer, we just affirm that question. And we start doubting our religion before we even took any practical steps to find, a to find an answer for it. And like we mentioned before, a lot of these questions that are raised today were questions that were raised 1,200, 1,300 years ago. So we just need to humble ourselves and take the steps necessary to find the answers before we even affirm these questions. And another reason we need to seek knowledge is because we're constantly fed false information. Whether it's in our classroom, whether it's through social media, whether it's sometimes just like the fake translations we get from verses of the Bible and so on and so forth, we just believe that whatever concepts they have in those texts, then they're going to apply to our religion as well. But we need to know that our religion is grounded in logic. So all the answers that were given by our scholars are logical answers, and we just need to refer and go back to them. Second practical steps is that we need to take by the means necessary and available to us. Sometimes, by all and all, with all due respect, is that we get too lazy. That's why we blame everything on Qadr. <laughs> we just get lazy to, to put in the extra effort to apply to that other job. We get too lazy to study a little bit harder for that exams when we do not as well as we hoped. We just say it was written, it was the Qadr. <laughs> and this is a concept that Umar tried to teach to people when he walked into Masjid and he saw group of people just sitting, he said, go and work. You should supplicate Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but as long as you know that it does not rain gold, then you should go and put effort. And we know it does not rain gold. I mean, how long have we been alive? It does not rain gold by any shape or form. So we should take by the means necessary. Third thing is that we need to focus on our circle of change. 
or the circle that we have effect on. Sometimes the reason we rely on this concept of qadr, although we understand it wrong in the first place and we rely on it so much is because we feel we do not have any effect. We say that, oh my God, so many things are wrong with the ummah, this is wrong with my masjid, this is wrong with this community, this is wrong with this school, so I will not be able to change it because this is what was written and this is what meant to happen and it's just going to stay the same way. So we just leave from that door and we don't even attempt to do anything. But what I would say is that focus on what you could change. Focus on that circle that you have effect on. You cannot change the ummah, but you can surely change yourself. If it means that all I can do right now is learn more about my religion, then don't find any excuses not to learn about your religion. Take whatever steps that you could. Don't give me an excuse I'm not attending this class because the Sheikh is Hanafi and I'm Shafi'i or like um, the Sheikh doesn't, sounds a little bit boring sometimes and we always find different excuses not to take by whatever means necessary to change the circle that we have effect on. How can we expect ourselves to change the Ummah and be the drivers of change for the future if we're too lazy, we're not committed enough to change what, was, what is within our own control? And lastly, I would say is that we need to strive to improve ourselves and not blame everything on Qadr or blame everything on chance or the situation, the destiny. And I'll conclude by a famous story that shows or talks about this concept of a man was brought to Umar ibn Khattab because he committed the sin of stealing. So when he was brought to Umar, he said, Oh Umar, the reason I stole is because it was written for me to steal. So you shouldn't punish me. And this is the, this is the attitude that we have. Instead of trying to improve ourselves and pick ourselves up and go on and move forward and improve, we just blame it on Qadr, like we said. But out of the wisdom of Umar radiallahu anh, he said, it was written for you to steal and it was written for me to punish you, so I'm still gonna punish you. <laughs> so don't go to your professor and say, oh, it was written for me to fail, because he was just gonna say, and it was written for me to fail you. But take by whatever means necessary. For the Prophet sallallahu taught us that taking by the means is a sunnah. It's a sunnah of the prophets and it's a sunnah that was placed on this earth for us. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us beneficial knowledge and benefit us from that which we have learned and we ask him subhanahu wa ta'ala to open our hearts to, to benefit from that which we have learned and we ask him to allow us to act on that which we have learned and we ask him with action to allow us to have sincerity for what we do and we ask him for sincere, with sincerity to accept everything from us and make our reward for that action, Jannatul Firdaus. وآخر دعوانا الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم على سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه أجمعين. We have a couple more minutes. If anyone has any more questions, it'd uh, be a good time right now. Thank you. 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 Thank you.
Also, we are we have some flyers in the back uh, to promote some things coming up. So, uh, not with YouTube Oma about Miftah. They have their Sira intensive coming up December twenty second or twenty seventh. You can look at Jeanette for the position.